Welcome back to Murder in the Black. I'm your host, Steph. And I'm MD. And we are going to get into our episode for the day. Well, you have to do your your thing. Yeah. MD. I'm sorry. Exactly. Grab your coffee if it's the morning or your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. All right. So you have entitled this, MD, what? My House 2. Like T-O-O, like also. Yeah, because, you know, some people... You know, they get that confused. I, I was one of those. They do. But it's, yeah, two also. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my house, too. Mm-hmm. And our story takes place in Nebraska. And um, MD and I were talking before we started recording. We used to watch um, City Confidential. And I feel like only the real, real OGs will remember that. Yes, real OGs of true crime. Right. And so we uh, loved how they gave you a little bit of background about the city or just the state that it took place in. And so I'm going to give you a couple of random facts about Nebraska. And if you're from Omaha, feel free to drop down in the chat and like tell us tell us something. Tell us something unique about your city. Hey. Okay, so the first thing is that it's the birthplace of Kool-Aid. Of Kool-Aid. Now, you you also have to be an OG to know about Kool-Aid because nowadays nobody's drinking Kool-Aid like we used to. Right. And you pour the little pack and then you pour a whole bunch of sugar in addition to. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, This guy named Edwin Perkins invented that. And how he came up with it is he transformed his soft drink syrup, Fruit Smack, into the famous Kool-Aid powder. Interesting. Making it easy to ship and all that stuff. I never knew that. Yeah. It has the biggest indoor rainforest. So I never knew that. I mean, I don't even, I didn't even know that an indoor rainforest existed, let alone that they had the largest. Same. Same. Now, this is very interesting. It has a lighthouse, but there's no ocean. The state of Nebraska is nowhere near an ocean. However, there is a lighthouse mm-hmm. that stands along the road of Ashland, Nebraska. That's interesting. That is, because when I think of a lighthouse, I absolutely picture it being in the middle of an ocean or on the cor- like the edge, the outer bank. Right. So... Interesting, Nebraska. I mean, it it has around it a 40-acre lake nearby, but I'm assuming that's man-made. So, you know, it is what it is. Last fact is Nebraska originated with the OT Indians. The word Nebraska means flat water and refers to the Plate River that flows throughout the state. And, you know, just a tidbit, a lot of our... States get their names from Indians because, you know, they belong there. Right, because they are the true natives of this country. You know. But that's five random facts. I bet you didn't know it. Let me know if you know it or not. You know, hit it in that poll as soon as you can. Go on, MD. Tell us about it. So let's dive into this case. So uh, as Steph said, we are taking you into Omaha, Nebraska. And Darlene Inslee decided back in 2014 that she was going to come on back to Omaha, Nebraska. She was living in Georgia for quite some time and her daughter, one of her daughters had recently passed away and that just kind of nudged at her that she needed to get back to her family and try to make sure she nourished her relationship with her her remaining daughter and her daughter's children. So she moves back to Nebraska and 
when she comes back, she stays temporarily with her daughter, but it really wasn't a lot of room for her to live there. And so her daughter was nudging her to, you got to find your own space because I don't really have a lot of space here. And so she looks across kind of the street and she's like, sees that there's this for sale sign and she for rent, for rent sign. So she decides, you know, let me go check this place out. This may be a great spot for me to find a place to live because she didn't have a lot of money to be able to go rent out a house or rent out an apartment, but she could rent out a room. And so she goes and knocks on the door and lo and behold, she realizes she knows the owner of the house. Her name was Angela Parks. And so Angela was living there and she was renting out the space. Now, Angela was also renting the house. So she she didn't own the house, but she rented the house and she was renting out a room in the house. And so Angela Parks and Darlene, they knew each other. They grew up together and they were familiar with each other. I wouldn't say that they were like best friends or really even close friends, but they were familiar with each other. Familiar enough that Darlene's daughter even recalled times growing up where she would see Angela in the house and around, you know, events that they may have thrown. And so this was just really refreshing for Darlene to see, oh, wow, like this is, this is somebody I know. Hopefully this is a place that I, you know, like, and she is willing to accept me. And of course, that's exactly what happens. She comes in, she visits the you know, looks around the, the house and she recognizes this is a perfect spot for me. Angela tells her how much it costs. And she's like, that's right in my wheelhouse. I can afford it. Let's let's go. And Angela says, hey, you can move in as soon as you want. She moves in that day. And now Darlene does not have a lot. She's not coming with a lot. She didn't have a lot of luggage. She didn't have a lot of belongings. She didn't have a job. So she doesn't have a lot of stuff. And Angela recognizes this. And so Angela's like, listen, until you get on your feet and you get your own things, feel free to use my dishes and things around the house that, that you know, you may not have of your own at this time. And so Darlene's like, man, this is, this is amazing. This is exactly what I needed. I couldn't have asked for a better a better situation, a living situation. But just one week, one week, guys, into this living arrangement, things, you know, they kind of start to shift. You know, and I think this happens with many roommates. You go through this honeymoon phase, is what I like to call it, where you're getting to know a person and you put forth your best effort. But when you live with somebody, that dies really quick because you want to be comfortable in your house. And so you really kind of, remove the facade of who you appear to be to the general public and you become who you really are, right? And so they begin to see really how each other really lives and and Darlene is super clean. She's like, you know, constantly straightening up. And I think also some of it is indicative of the fact that she felt like she was getting such a great deal to live there and to use Angela's belongings. So the least she could do, which is the way that I think the least I can do is make sure this house stays clean. I'll clean it. I'm gonna clean it from head to toe, you know, from top to bottom. And so, but Angela, and I wouldn't say that she was junky. She just wasn't near as clean as Darlene. And so just nuances and differences like that start to, to, present itself well one day 
Angela comes into the kitchen and she goes to the cabinet to reach for her favorite cup. And none of the dishes are where she has them. And, you know, we all have a place for certain dishes, right? You have your, your cabinet for your bowls and your plates and you have your cabinet for your cups. And, and so she has her cabinets in the order to which she's accustomed. When she gets in there, they're not there. And she's trying to figure out where are they? This is where they always are. Where did they go? And Darlene says, oh, I didn't, you know, I, I thought that wasn't the best place for them. So I, I moved them. Steph, how would you feel? You know, I don't think I would care. You know, that 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 in particular doesn't irritate me. Like, my husband, when he puts up the dishes, he don't always put, like, the plastic where we're supposed to go. But I never say anything about it. I just move it back because that doesn't irritate me. But I could see how, you know, if she had lived in there for a while by herself, so I could see how you were like, where is my cup now? What are you doing? Right. And do you think that you're more like that, more grace giving because it's your husband? Do you think you'd be like that if it was just like a friend that moved in? Yeah, I do. It wouldn't be a big deal. uh -uh. And I think that, you know, that is a perfect example of the differences of how people are. Right. Because for me, that is a big deal. Like, I believe that everything has a place. And if you don't put it where it goes, my kids can use that phrase. I say it so much. Everything has a place. Put it where it belongs. And so that coming in and finding dishes completely moved to a different spot would irritate me. Now, if she had asked me, hey, can I, I don't think this is the best place for him. Can I, you know, rearrange your, would you be okay if I rearranged your kitchen or rearranged these dishes? I think I would be more, you know, inclined to say yes, barring I think where she's moving them is a good spot but just to come in and not have it where it is would kind of drive me a little insane and it did Angela and she kind of like flipped out and really got I think it shocked Darlene how how aggressive she responded and so Darlene was taken aback like oh wow I was really just and really because Darlene had pure intentions behind it she wasn't trying to be ugly she was really just trying to make Angela's life what she felt was simpler so later that day she goes outside to get the mail and she runs into one of Angela's old roommates who was there trying to get see if there was any old mail for her being delivered and they be, they begin to kind of talk and converse and the old roommate tells her, you need to be careful with Angela. She's not what she appears to be. Now, it's still really new in this roommate relationship. And so I think like most relationships that are new, even when you get some information like that, you just kind of think, okay, maybe it was bad for you, but that doesn't mean it's going to be bad for me. And I'm going to kind of keep it pushing Thanks for that, but I don't really think I have much to worry about. I, I've actually, and I think especially for Darlene, she's known Angela. This is not like a stranger roommate situation. This is somebody she knows. So she just kind of chalks that up to be 
what it is and keeps going. The the relationship continue the roommate relationship continues. And although there's some nuances that seem to be a little bit tense between the two of them, for the most part, things are going pretty well until Darlene walks into the kitchen one day to go reach for some dishes to eat and nothing is in the cabinets. Nothing. No cups, no plates, no bowls, no silverware, (laughs) no nothing. And so she goes, she's thinking, you know, oh my gosh, somebody robbed us and all they took were the dishes. (laughs) And so she goes and knocks on Angela's door and she's like, hey, like somebody took all our dishes. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. And Angela's like, no, nobody took the dishes. And as she opens the door wider, Darlene sees that inside Angela's bedroom is all the dishes that were missing. So Angela's decided, you know, she's going to put some boundaries around what Darlene can and cannot use. So she's going back on what she initially said to Darlene she could have access to. Now she's saying, absolutely not. You can't, you can't use this. And Darlene says, well, what am I supposed to use? Because I don't have anything on my own. And Angela's like, that's a you problem. That is not a me problem. I mean, but for real, I mean, at this time, did weeks go by? Like it had been like, you know, a month or so. It was a couple weeks. Yeah. Had okay. gone, gone by. So I, you know, I think that's enough time for you to go to the dollar store. They had plates. You know what I'm saying? Like, be for real. Really be for real because I feel like you can't expect somebody to, just because somebody offers you the ability to, hey, you can use this or you can have access to this or I don't mind helping you out until you get on your feet. How long, like, how long does it take you to get on your feet? What are you doing actively to show me that you're really trying to, position yourself to where you're no longer having to use my belongings and you know Darlene's in Darlene's defense she's like well I am looking for a job Uh, I'm older because these these women are older they have grown children so this shows you their age like they're older in their lives and so she feels like getting a job is not the easiest thing to do right and so that's what she says to to Angela. But Angela's like, listen, again, this is a you problem. Figure it out. So now the tension is really just brewing in the house because now, you know, Darlene's feeling very salty that Angela's, you know, going back on her word. And, you know, Angela's like, I don't, I'm tired of being the one to help you. Figure it out. So, and the tension continues to rise and the dis- differences between the ladies begin to really surface like their character differences, right? Their personality differences, uh, should I say? So D- our Angela, she's more of an extrovert. She's very outgoing. She enjoys, she's the life of the party. That's what she's described as. And as a matter of fact, they mentioned on one of the documentaries that we watched that Angela was really a local like people knew her she was she was famous locally in her community like she worked at a, a bar a very popular local community bar and people knew her and they loved her they loved her personality they loved just she was the life of the party she could talk talk your ear off and and 
you know, even her, uh, the, uh, Darlene's daughters, as they talked about Angela, talked about her in a very fond like way, you know, just because she was such a likable person. And Darlene was, I want to say the polar opposite of that. Not that she wasn't likable, but she was very introverted, very quiet, very reserved to herself, didn't make friends easily. And she, even amongst her family, didn't really hang out with her family often. Uh, One of her regrets was that when her daughter died, she regretted that she didn't spend a lot of time with her daughter because she really was distant. She was a loner. And that's just kind of how she liked it. So while Angela's going out and enjoying the party, Darlene's like sitting in at the house watching TV because those are the differences between them. And that began to really surface as the tension began to rise. And Angela began to tease Darlene for being introverted and for not going and hanging out with her family. She would make fun of her and say, well, that's what you're, you're so, you're so bored and, 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 and lame that even your own family doesn't invite you to, you know, holiday functions. And so this began to really kind of get under Darlene's skin and really made her, you know, feel sad that, you know, here her own roommate slash friend is really kind of teasing and poking her. Uh, So she began to confide in her daughter that she didn't feel comfortable living with Angela anymore. She really felt like all they did was bicker and fight and argue and Angela would tease her. And she just was expressing to her daughter that this is, I don't think this is the best situation for me. And maybe, maybe this ex-roommate was onto something when she said that Angela's not the person that we should be, that I should be, you know, living, living with, and she's not who she appears to be. And what was very interesting to, in response to Darlene's confession, so to speak, to her daughter, is her daughter felt like, I don't really think it's that big of a deal, mom. Like, you're making a mountain out of a mole. A molehill. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And I'll tell you, Steph and MIB, like, this really enraged me. Because, you know, I think, you know, you project, or I do, let me say that. I project when I'm watching things on TV, I imagine that it's my mama, that it's my daddy, that it's my sister, my brother, you know, and I'll get real invested into whatever it is I'm watching because I'm, I'm projecting myself into the, the scenario. And I cannot imagine for one second my mother calling me and confiding in me that she feels uncomfortable. And then my response is, it's really not that big of a deal. What do, what do you think, Steph? Yeah, that is super frustrating. Um, and I and, and like you, I project too. But it made me feel like, you know, maybe she and her mother weren't as, you know, super close. Like she was obviously close enough for her mother to move by her. But maybe that relationship wasn't ironclad. It wasn't tough because I would like to think that people would look out for their mama. You know what I mean? But yeah. you never know that background. But like like you said, to your point, I feel the same way. It'd be no way my mom tell me tells me she's uncomfortable and I don't I try to, you know, play it down and minimize it. So yeah. 
Yeah. So what what was her daughter's response? So she, other than saying, "Hey, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal." You, what what did her daughter do then? And so her daughter was trying to make an effort, right? So because she was so introverted, she was like, "You know, come on, mom, I'm gonna take you out. We're gonna go do something fun." And they end up going to this local hangout spot that a lot of people go to. And um, they see Angela because, as you've already mentioned, Angela is an extrovert. She loves to go out. People love her. And it was like karaoke night at the spot that they were at. So she stays. And I don't think they were sitting with Angela, but, you know, sitting nearby. And eventually her daughter says, hey, listen, mama. I'm about to go. You continue to have fun. Angela's here, like, thinking she's leaving her mom in good hands. Like, it'll be fine. But immediately, Angela starts to go in on her and starts to joke and makes these very passive-aggressive jokes. And not only has she mentioned before that her own kids didn't want to be around her on holiday weekends, her living children, she even goes a step further and joked that her daughter, Miko, who died, tried, that's why she died, basically to get away from Darlene. I mean, and that's such a nasty joke. You know, it's not even a joke, right? Like, that is you just speaking negatively to me, you know? So anyway, Darlene, she doesn't want to stay. She decides to leave and she, you know, she, I, I believe she talked back to her, right? Like they kind of had this going at it, but to just be real honest, how do you really come back from this? <laughs> and she said something similar to the, to the fact that like your, your son doesn't want to be around you. So it was kind of like tit for tat, kitty, you know, very immature things happening. But eventually Darlene is like, I'm about to go back home. So she walks home. And she wakes up in the middle of the night and she hears this sound. So Darlene wears glasses. So she immediately reaches for her glasses but couldn't find them. And she goes on to turn on the lamp light, you know, to see her glasses, right? (laughs) She's already blind. And she just, she realizes that there's no light bulbs. And so she fumbles, literally fumbles and stumbles throughout the hallway and you know, she bumped into furniture that wasn't initially there. And because she comes to find out that Angela is the one who took all the light bulbs out of the lamps. Y'all, how childish. Just how immature. I mean, you cannot be pettier than this. Like, it's just like, seriously, is this what we're doing? These are grown women, y'all. Like, these are grown women with grown children acting. That's why... being immature has nothing to do with age because this right here is so petty. Yeah. And, you know, it is such thing as growing up and growing down. It is such thing. So they were definitely in their bag and growing down in this one. And so, you know, eventually Darlene, you know, hurts herself. And she didn't do this just on one occasion. This was several times. And so Angela finally comes out of her bedroom and you know, reaches for Darlene's glasses, gives them back, and she's laughing, and Darlene has hurt herself. She's struggling to get back up. She doesn't have her glasses. She can't see, and Darlene just, she's just, she's had enough. She's like, this is getting to the point. This is escalating, 
So we go, we're going from you were just talking about me, we're talking about each other, to now you are trying to hurt me intentionally. So she gets up. After she gets those glasses, she gets up and she's ready to fight. Can't say that I blame her. <laughs> but Angela, Angela decides to grab a pan. And it was a frying pan and whacked Darlene over the head. Darlene immediately hits the floor and she hits her face on, on a can of food. And she has this huge gash on her face. Now, Darlene gets up because she's like, okay, it's one thing to throw hands, but you throw in pans and pots. So I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. And so Darlene calls 911 and she wants them to come out because obviously an assault has taken place. And when the police arrive, they see that Darlene is out of control. Like she, not out of control. Let me not say that. But she's very frantic and worked up as she should be. And Angela's pretty calm. And so the police believe, so Angela, she tells the story that it was Darlene who attacked her and she was just defending herself. And of course, Darlene is screaming and yelling, no way. She looks like the crazy one now because she's the one who's like, I didn't do this. It was really her. But the police go with her story. Right. And to the police's defense, right, they're having to figure out which one is the aggressor in this domestic situation. And and oftentimes, because this is a domestic situation, right, and oftentimes you can't, it's hard for police to be able to interpret which one it is when, when you have two women or two men, right? Because, you know, you not saying that a man usually is the aggressor against the woman, but you can, it, it, it may be a little bit more obvious sometimes when it is a man and a woman. In this situation, not only was Darlene appearing to be more belligerent, like, you know, Steph said, Angela ran to the door. When they came to the door and rang the doorbell, Angela ran ahead of Darlene and said, it, it was me. She assaulted me. And so then that immediately enraged Darlene, which caused Darlene to appear belligerent, belligerent. And because she was like, how dare you? You're the one that I just got. Hit. You're the aggressor. Gashed. Yeah, you're the aggressor. And so and not only that, she lunged at Angela during this interaction, which solidified for the police that, yes, Darlene is the aggressor. So they take Darlene to jail and she spent the next three days in jail. Finally, her daughter comes to pick her up and she is telling her daughter, like, I don't want to go back here. I don't want to be around this lady. This is escalating. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'm scared. Like, I don't know what this lady, this lady has hit me across the head with a frying pan and left a huge gash on my face. And her daughter told her, listen, I don't have any space at my house. You know, she had children and she told her mom basically, hey, you're going to have to go back and let her mom out of the car back into hell. I, I just listen. And I know I, I love what you said earlier, Steph, that they may not have had this ironclad relationship like we have with our mom. So, you know, you can't project that on them. But they had a relationship and it didn't appear that it was a bad relationship. I think the way that her daughter described it was, you know, mom just 
was very introverted and she didn't like to be around a lot of people. And so we didn't, she didn't always come to family functions and events, but it was never like, yeah, me and mom really struggled in our relationship. You had enough of a relationship where she's confiding in you about her difficulties. You're picking her up from the, the jail. There is just no way. Mom, we finna sleep in this bed together. Right. I mean, I think, and even if we gave her the benefit of the doubt when her mother first complained, this has escalated to this woman putting her hands on your mama. So at that point, you know, okay, now I thought it was nothing before, but now, girl, I, I just have actual evidence that it is something. Why is something My here? My mom spent three nights in jail and she has a gash on her head. Right. I'm not sending her back into the lion's den. With the crazy woman. But that's exactly what she did. And MD, correct me if I'm wrong, did Darlene or Angela file a protective order at this time? Yeah, so this is where, so as she sends her mom, she to her defense, she doesn't just send her mom back in there and say, Yo, figure it out on your own, good luck. She says to her mom, like, I don't have a place for you. I, I will want you to be here, but I don't have a place for you. And so I think the best thing you can do is file a restraining order or a protective order against Angela. And that way, if you are granted this protective order, right, Angela is no longer allowed to stay in this house. Like she's going to, they're going to move her out. Okay. So if she had, if she was granted the protective order, she would, you know, cause you can only be so many feet within a person during a protective order. Right. So if we're roommates and I get a protective order against you, and they grant it, you're going to have to move. Right, because you need to give me 50 feet. Right, and so that was her daughter's solution, which was not a bad solution, right? And so Darlene goes and does that. She files this restraining order against Angela. Well, there has to be, unless it's an emergency restraining order, like in Texas you can file an emergency order, restraining order or protective order and in those cases they immediately grant you the protective order and then you'll have a hearing in a few days to solidify continuing the protective order but in typically the way it works is you file an application for the protective order and then there has to be a hearing on the protective order with at which point the judge will rule whether or not they're going to enforce the protective order so in this time she files this application they send notice to angela which is what procedurally is supposed to happen Angela receives that notice Angela's like oh heck no and so Angela then goes and files an appeal and in turn files her own protective order against Darlene so now there has to be this big hearing as to which protective order is going to if any is going to be granted right so in this interim where they're trying to figure that out Darlene feels like I'm gonna call the landlord because surely he will be on my side, and or, or at the very least, he will be able to talk to her, and maybe it will calm down. But the landlord is like, that's between you guys. Figure it out. But the tension was escalating. I mean, can you imagine you file a restraining order against somebody, you're still living in the house with them, and then they find out and go do the same to you? Like, it was just a very scary situation. And Darlene recounts that she absolutely felt like a prisoner. She was scared. She didn't know what would tip this lady off, you know, or what this lady would do, like steal her glasses and take out light bulbs. You know, she just didn't know. And so she was very scared. So Darlene, at some point, she goes in the kitchen 
and she spills some food on the ground. And Angela, I guess that was the straw that broke the camera's back for Angela because she lost it. And this lady didn't pick up a pan or a pot this time. She picked up a hammer and she hit Darlene in the head with the hammer and then threatened her with a knife. I'm just going to let that sit. So things are, they're spiraling. And Darlene has now, nothing really came of that, MD, right? Like nothing, that particular incident, nothing came of that. Right, nothing came of that. I think that just continued to add fear for Darlene. And it, just, it was just one of those situations that sheds light as to why Darlene felt like a prisoner in her own, in, in this house. Like why she felt like, I can't do anything. I can't escape this. And so it's just highlights. It's not clear when that incident took place in co- in correlation to the, the main event, but it was one of the incidents that ha- that highlights Darlene's fear. Yeah. And this is very reminiscent of like domestic violence. Would you say? I mean, absolutely. I, it it's sounds domestic, like it. it is absolutely a domestic uh, abuse type situation. And it's it's really interesting you say that because that's exactly how her daughter described it. So, you know, she is now living in this this constant state of fear. Everything is really spiraling out of control. And Darlene decides that I don't know what's going to happen. So I need to sleep with a knife under my pillow because I just don't know what's going to happen. So in early 2016, an event happens that changes everybody's future. 911 was called and Darlene is on the phone telling them that she has stabbed Angela. Now, what we do know is the police came on scene and we do know that Angela sustained three wounds to her upper body. And two of them punctured her lungs and her kidneys. And so when the ambulance arrives, Angela's taken to the hospital. They don't know. It's touch and go, right? They don't really know her condition or if she's going to live or not. And Darlene is sitting in the house, you know, in a shock, paralyzed by what just happened. Like, you know, definitely in that uh, flight or fight or flight, fight or flight mode. And she just, you know, she's she doesn't really know. And so she has the knife in her hand. And, of course, police arrest her and charge her was second degree murder. So, MD, real quick, what is the difference? Second, first, unintentional. I believe you said this before, but second right. degree, just say what second degree. So, is. so you say, second degree basically means it's not it wasn't premeditated. Cuz that's the biggest difference between first degree murder and second degree murder. It, it means you didn't plan it, but it, you still killed them with every intention to to do it right like you knew what you were doing and you killed him and and the nuances of that is different for each state so i'm giving a really broad broad stroke of the difference right but the difference between second degree murder and manslaughter is more significant and is is traditionally the same across most states right and and that is that it's negligent it's mm-hmm. it means you killed this person, but you were negligent in killing this person. So there was no intentions behind it. It was it, it it's more indicative of you were driving while drunk, right? Like you had enough knowledge to know you shouldn't be driving while drunk, and you know that driving while drunk can cause 
something to happen to somebody else. So you were negligent when you got behind the car and the neg- your negligence resulted in someone's murder. So that's why it's at the bottom. It's not, it's, it's one of those, you were negligent. So in this case, you're negligent for holding a knife and taking a knife to defend yourself, knowing that a knife could in fact cause, or a better example is you are negligent when you shot a gun in the air. Why right. mean for that bullet to hit anybody? You shot it in the air, but the pure act of shooting a bullet in the air could result in somebody dying because that bullet could come down and strike somebody and kill somebody. Right. right. So that's the difference between first, second, and, and man. Okay, that's perfect. So as the police are digging around, well, first let me say that Angela did succumb to her injuries, and she did so that night. So that's. Part of the reason why I think they charged her with second degree murder. And as the police or and the prosecutors and her attorneys are kind of like digging into this case, they see because of those protective orders that there is a there is a history of violence that existed between the both of them. And so because of that, she ended up pleading guilty because the prosecutor dropped it down to manslaughter. She pleaded guilty for manslaughter and received 8 to 10 years. She was released for early probation in 2021, and she only served three years. So she'll have to finish out the rest of her sentence um, doing community service. Now, we've watched this episode. It's It's on the show, Fear Thy Neighbor. And there's just not a ton of black people on there. So I don't know what episode, but just, you know, just... It's the so there I think that there are six total episodes and it's like episode it's the episode before the last episode. So it's either episode five or episode four if there's five. It's not that many episodes. It's only one season of Fear Thy Neighbor. Uh not neighbor, Fear Thy Roommate. Fear thy and roommate. so uh you'll easily be able to see it. I, it's literally two episodes about black people on this season. Yeah. We've covered the first one. And now we're covering this one. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we highly encourage you if you want a little bit more background. But I feel like we covered it pretty well. Um, So she was featured, actually, in that episode. So I was kind of confused watching it in the beginning. I'm like, oh, well, maybe it didn't end bad. Like, maybe this did not end in somebody's death. But tragically, it did. And from the beginning, Darlene was very remorseful that she ended up taking Angela's life, that this situation just ever existed in the first place, right? But she felt really bad. And so she so remorse and repentance. And obviously there was a history of violence. And I'm glad that the prosecutor, you know, saw that and allowed her to plead manslaughter. So that's the end of this case. Let's go ahead and get into our takeaway. MD. So, you know, I think the biggest thing, I was very literally screaming at this episode. I am not lying to you guys. Like, I was screaming at the TV. And I'm not a person that typically talks to the TV or the movie theater, uh, you know, the screen. Like, that's not me. I usually am just, like, watching it. I may be shaking my head, but I'm just, I was very literally screaming at the TV because I could not, in my mind, understand, begin to even comprehend on any level how her daughter did not come to her aid 
And I get it. It's not intentional. She didn't mean to do it. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. She could easily be like, I wish I had of, I could have done. It's just for me, there's this uh, lioness type of protection that I have over certain people in my life. And when it comes to those people, I, I'm going to protect them in a very lioness type of way, you know, fiercely and very passionately. And there is no way that it would have ever escalated to physical violence for me because the moment my mom, and I say, you know, I say this about it being my mom. And I think, you know, it makes it even more heightened because it is my mom, but I feel the same way about you, Steph. It's no way that you could have told me you were uncomfortable. My children could have told me, my husband could have told me, my brother could have told me, and I'm not trying to actively find a solution to get them out. Right. Like, how can I remove you from this situation? Because for somebody to say, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. We're always arguing. It's I don't, I don't feel safe in my own home. Listen, your house is supposed to be your sanctuary. That's why you have laws in most states that if somebody were to break into your home, you have the right to stand your ground. And to defend your dwelling because your dwelling is supposed to be one of the most sacred places that you have access to. And it's also the reason why you have to have a warrant. You can't just come walk in to a person's house. You have to have permission to gain access. And so for you to not feel safe in your own home, there's just no way. So I I guess my takeaway is we've got to be better about listening to our loved ones. When they're saying, hey, I'm not comfortable. I, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. For somebody to be transparent and vulnerable to say that to you, you should, you have now, it is now your business. You know, you like, that's not my business. No, it is now your business because they've made it your business. And so figure out how you can help that person. Because see, this didn't have to result in Angela's death either. It, was Angela wrong for how she was treating Darlene? Absolutely. But did it have to ever escalate to the point where somebody died? No, it it just really didn't. And the restraining order, it only heightened the tension in the end. It was a great, it is a good, when you can implement it in a way where y'all are already not living in the same place, it's a good tool to be able to try to set some historical groundwork should anything happen, right? But it is just a piece of paper. It is just a piece of paper. So what do you think, Steph? Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I mean, I definitely think I think what you take from that is what you said. Like, you have to listen to your your loved one. And I also am just thinking, when that former roommate said to her, you need to watch out for her, you know, or you shouldn't be here because she going to turn into another person. Every, everything that glitters is not gold. And one thing that you said, MD, is that everybody loved Angela. She was loved in the community. They thought she was the sweetest thing. And I even think because she was so loved, I think maybe that has something to do with the daughter being dismissive at the beginning. Right? But... You can be this person out there in the world, but the people that you live with, they know how you get down. You know what I'm saying? And I wish that at that point when she, you know, 
went to that nightclub and Angela did what she did. And then she saw for herself that, okay, this lady is hiding my glasses, my glasses, that she would have remembered what that roommate said. And, you know, maybe just chose differently. And I don't know that, you know, like we're presuming that it's going to make a difference. But I think when we're caught in these situations where people say to us a warning, you need to listen to that warning. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we've said that here on Burning the Black before. Like my mom, his mom told him not to go out that night, but yet he did. So you have to, and I know we can be dismissive of that because it's like, no big deal. You're, you're tripping. But just don't do it so quickly. Like I'm at least investigate it, observe and see for yourself. So, I mean, I just definitely think this is a cautionary tale. And like we said, everybody ain't your friend. Darlene felt, cause that they had a, a deeper relationship than associate. Would you say? Absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't an associate, but it also wasn't best friend status it was like that middle ground right. you know close friend close yeah uh, you know I, you're somebody that is more than i you know i would see at on the street but you're not necessarily the person i would invite to my child's wedding right i don't talk to you often right you don't really know what's going on with me but i've known you from way back 1968 which is you know, that kind of thing exactly so that is the episode for today. I want to go ahead and address something real quick. I was telling MB about it because I gave you guys a bonus episode right after Thanksgiving. So if you haven't checked that episode out, go and check it out. But somebody responded in our question section and said, did all the black podcasters listen to this case at the same time? And so I was, she was like, because dang. And I was like, what is she talking about? So I immediately went to some of the popular black podcasters, true crime ones. And literally, dude, I saw November 9th, you know, November 16th. And and here we go with Danita. That's hilarious. That's crazy. And it, it, it genuinely was a coincidence because we're trying to talk about betrayal and deception. That's our theme right now. So, MD and I, did we watch that episode together? We, we watched that episode so long ago. but I It was think like it 10 was years ago. ago. Yeah, so long ago. And when she and I watched it, I have to believe it was MD and my mom. And we all sat and watched it. And that has such an impression on me. I say it in the episode that I immediately thought of that when I thought about betrayal. That's what I immediately thought right. of. And, you know, too... And, I think, like you said, it's a, it was a coincidence, but also, and I said this to you when you told me about it, there are not many stories about black crime in that's, you know, a show or that's readily accessible to, so there are going to be a lot of overlap. Oh, you know, for sure. Be many cases that we all talk about and, and what's really, because I, I used to listen to, we, we have several true crime podcasters that we love and I, even when they're covering a case I've already heard somebody else tell, I still listen because they, they tell it in a different way. And they may highlight things that the other person didn't. And because we all see it different, right? We all see things different. So when you listen to us tell this story that we just told, we're really putting a lot of emphasis on the mother 
and the daughter relationship because we have such we, have, we both have such a great relationship with our mom and so and, the, and and our mom means so much to both of us so that's the lens that you're going to see this story right you see it through through that lens versus somebody else may see it completely different and so i think the the fact that there's not that many stories about us in the media which is what we're trying to you know change up and shift and and acknowledge and and also because you know we all tell it different yeah like how we how, you know i feel like and a lot of our listeners have said that it's like you know talking to your girlfriend you know we keep it very casual and light and airy because that's how we would literally tell the story to a friend or a family member so I want to go ahead and get into the poll for last week. And I asked the question, who was to blame more, Jameer, Shannon, or both? And 52% of you said Jameer, 14% said Shannon, and 33% said both. So I, I tend to agree that Jameer was the catalyst. And I think I said that in the episode. Like he definitely sparked the flame that allowed that to exist once he started that relationship with Shannon and continued a relationship with Danita. So I asked you, what did you think about the episode? And DeWitt said, I'm the product of betrayal. My wife of 15 years cheated with the guy from our church. It devastated me because she kept lying. So yes, he is to blame. I wish I could give more details, but he didn't have enough space. I feel you do it. That's, I'm sure you were absolutely devastated and I wish you healing on your journey. And I appreciate you for sharing that. That's pretty personal. Um, Kiki said Jameer had the opportunity to let Danita know about Shannon as soon as he started integrating herself into his community when she moved into his community. He definitely set Danita up for failure. I agree, Kiki. Yeah, he did. So those were the top questions or those are the top answers that I wanted to share with you guys this week. Um, we actually received our 2023 wrap. And that just means that Spotify gathers all of our analytics and they put it together and we can see it. And so... I'm just so happy with um, how we ended up faring this year. I think we did exponentially well um, in comparison to last year. And you guys have been sharing. Like, the amount that y'all have been sharing, I appreciate it. And I didn't know they could track, MD, they can track when you copy a link and text it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I'm not, you know, I shouldn't be surprised because they're, they're also watching what I talk about. So, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So we appreciate y'all, man. We just want to, you know, let you know that we really, I know I say that a lot here, but I, I'm, I'm humbled. So every time I feel like somebody listening to little, little old us in Dallas, I'm like, oh, y'all like it? Oh, okay, for real. So it's always a humbling experience for me. So I just want to say thank you for that. And um, we have a couple of case suggestions, MD, that I want to comb through and maybe present to you guys in the following weeks. So make sure you send in your case suggestion. And we will see you next time. Until ne next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black.